Wonderful to see you here today. And um, we are ministering out of the book of James. And uh, we have come to James chapter 1 and verse 22. Chapter 1 and verse 22. As we've been going through James, we've been realizing that the book of James is all about how to face tests and trials of life. In other words, how do you put your faith to work in life? That's what it's all about. Galatians and Romans, or the first eight chapters of Romans and Galatians, are all about how to get saved, how to get right with God. But James assumes that you are right with God. He's writing to Christians. But it's not enough just to be right with God and then do whatever you want on earth. God has given you faith not just to get to heaven by grace, but God has given you faith to put to work in your life. And your life will only be victorious by faith. And so when James is dealing with the people that he's dealing with, he's saying, look, you need to put your faith to work. Thank God you're going to heaven by faith in the blood of Jesus. But you also need to be active your faith needs to be alive in everything that you're doing, in your prayers and your workplace. And when situations come that you face, you have to face them with faith. Don't end up going back and trying to figure out your life like you would before you were saved. And this is the problem. There's a lots of Christians that although they've got faith for heaven, they deal with the problems as if they're still back in the world. So the first chapter says, look, consider it all joy when you face various trials. Why? Because God is Lord of the trials. And because whatever you face, God has an answer to. He knows the beginning of the test, the middle of the test, and the end of the test. And whatever you face, God has a plan in it. And the great example that James will use in chapter 5 is Job. I mean, look what Job went through. That's what James will say later. You think you've had a difficult life? What about Job? He didn't just have a difficult life. It was doubly worse because he had it all. He had everything and lost it. If you never had anything, you don't know what it is to lose it. That's bad enough. But to have had everything, to be thoroughly and totally blessed in every single way, then to have it taken from you. And then for Satan to seem to have free reign over your health and your family and your finances. And you're asking the question, where's God? Well, we know in the book of Job that God was there. That God said to Satan, this you can do, that you can do, but no further. Because God had a plan for the trial. Satan had a plan for the trial. But, but James says, when we get to that passage in chapter 5, that God had a purpose of blessing. And indeed, when Job had gone through that trial, he was stronger, he knew God better, he was more patient and endurant, and not only that, he was doubly blessed before he entered into that trial. So God has a purpose. Now, when we face a trial, usually what happens is panic starts. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to respond to it. And we begin to panic. I don't know what to do. I didn't expect to lose my job. I didn't expect this situation to happen. 
First thing that hits you when a test or obstacle or trial comes is if it's not panic, it's anxiety or it's confusion. And that's why James says, if any person lacks wisdom, he should ask for it. I've been praying that recently, have you? I've been looking at situations, nothing huge, but situations in my life, I don't know what to do here. Ah, I'm going to ask you for wisdom and I'm going to believe that you're going to give it to me, Lord. And maybe God will give it to you there and then with a word of wisdom or an intuition. But sometimes God doesn't give you the wisdom. You have to enter into that difficult meeting and you're still waiting for the wisdom. Don't doubt. He'll give it to you in the meeting. God will give wisdom in various modes and ways. We looked at that. But if you ask him and trust him, he will give you wisdom. And then we spoke a little bit about temptations. And we were saying, don't turn the trial into a temptation. Because every test carries with it a temptation. What's the temptation? To blame God. How could you ever let this happen to me? There are hundreds and thousands of backslidden Christians in Great Britain alone that are backslidden because they're blaming God for something. They're blaming God for a situation that happened and they said, I don't want any more. Or they're blaming, blaming God's church or God's people or God's... I went to that church. The person was so rude to me, I'm never going back again. You're blaming God and his church. And James says in chapter 1, and we looked at all this. We mentioned this last week and the week before. Don't blame God because God is good. There's no shadow of turning with God. He's full on good all the time. It's the devil that's bad and people that mess up. But God's good don't be tempted to blame God, whatever you face. And people, not just in the church, but outside the church. What is the biggest reason that people in Britain don't believe in God? How can there be a God when there's so much suffering in the world? So much evil in the world. And they blame the idea of God. But it's not God to be blamed. Also, there is a temptation when you face tests not to go God's way. We'll look at this later. There's a wisdom from above that is peaceable and a wisdom that is below that is demonic, manipulative. And when you face a test, often the temptation is to manipulate it, to, to be angry or to, to use the weapons of the world. But God doesn't want us to use the weapons of the world. He wants us to use the loving wisdom of God. And so there's always a temptation to, to deal with a test or a temptation in the flesh. That's a temptation. And if you deal with a situation or an individual in the flesh, you failed the test. And there won't be any blessing in it for you. And what will that mean? You just have to take the test again. God is seeking to mature us, to make us mature, perfect, lacking in nothing. And so every time we fail the test, because we do it the flesh way instead of the spirit way, you're just going to have to take a similar test again. But when you pass a test, even when you struggle in a test, but when you pass a test, when you do it God's way, according to God's principles, and when you pass that test, you'll get a blessing. This is the way that life works. And then we came to this place in verse 19. That's where I want to pick it up. So then, my Beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce righteousness of God. This was the topic last week. What does this mean? It means your anger will produce nothing. 
You know, I've been thinking about that. And there's times when you get annoyed, you get angry, and maybe you want to act out of anger. Remember last week I spoke about you send that email and then you wish you hadn't because you reacted and you sent the email and it was full of annoyance. You really told that person what, what they needed to hear. You sent the email and then you thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And you know you can't press the recall button because recall doesn't work. It just tells them you tried to get it back. Been there, done that. That's why there's a principle I know myself and a number of other ministers that I know that if we are in any way agitated or angry about an email, we will not return that email. Because your immediate reaction is want to sort it out and sort it now. I don't know about it. I've written emails pages long. And then thank God for the wisdom of God. Thought, I'll just leave this till the morning and send it. And I wake up in the morning and I look at the email. I go, thank God I didn't send that. Because that would have just inflamed the whole situation. Well, this is what it says. Be slow to speak, slow to wrath, swift to hear. And the problem is, is we, we often do the opposite of this verse. We are usually slow to hear. Because we're too busy going to sort it out and tell the person or situate. We're usually slow to hear and we're usually too quick to speak and too quick to anger. And when you're quick to speak, you're often it's out of anger, frustration. We've all been in situations where we wish you just kept your mouth shut, yeah? You wish you just hadn't bit back. You know, in marriage relationships, this can often happen where the husband and the wife hurt one another because they get into a situation where they say things they didn't mean. Well, why, why did they say it? They said it out of anger and frustration. And it takes a lot more work to bring healing to the words that were spoken in anger than the words spoken in anger that just trip off the tongue. Be slow to speak, slow to anger, but swift to listen, swift to heal, swift to be open to what's going on. That's what we spoke about next week, last week, sorry. And then verse 22 is where we start today. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. Paul, James is taking this on to the next step. It's still under the heading, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And here, when he speaks, be doers of the word, he's talking about being swift to hear. It's that section. So he's saying, be swift to hear, but more than just hearing, Hearing that implies doing. Now, a lot of the Jewish people of that time heard a lot of the word of God. It was part of their ritual. When they went to the synagogues, there would be the public reading of the scriptures. But the public reading of the scriptures was a ritual, and many people wouldn't be paying a slight, any notice to what was being said. It was just part of the ritual. So what James is saying is, look, look, 
don't just hear the word, but apply it. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's interesting, but the Hebrew word for hearing, in fact, the Greek word for hearing, akuo, that word hearing means hearing and obeying. And so when, uh, for example, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 3, what was the problem with the children in the wilderness? What was their problem? They did not hear or listen to the Spirit. And so in Hebrews, what the author of Hebrews is saying, is he's saying, look, don't be like the children of Israel in rebellion in the wilderness. But hear today what the Holy Spirit is saying. You know that passage in Hebrews 3? Listen, hear today what the Holy Spirit is saying. What about the seven churches of Revelation? There was a message to those churches that were around. And nearly every one of those churches came with a message. If anyone has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, let him hear. Jesus himself, didn't he, would often say, if anybody has an ear to hear, let him hear. And then go and speak a parable. When the disciples came to Jesus and said, why do you speak in parables? He said, to you, the mystery of the kingdom of God is given. But to those, it comes in parables. That hearing, they may not hear. And seeing, they may not perceive. Lest they turn from their sins, and I would heal them. So this is a theme that James, the half-brother of Jesus, is picking up. And he would be well-versed with the teaching of Jesus on hearing, but truly hearing. And so right now, there is a lesson for us today. Are you hearing what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today? Are you even a hearer of the Word Remember, I'm not talking about just words or scriptures or public. I'm talking about, are you hearing God's word alive? Because scripture without the spirit is dead. The scripture profits nothing without the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? I mean, I know before I got saved, when I was at school, even before I was saved, I had a gift with the Scriptures. And I did, G I did O level or GCSE, and I had a gift. And the RE teacher said, you've got a gift with the Scriptures, because it was a Church of England school, and the GCSE O level was based on study of the Scriptures. So I thought, well, all right, I wasn't saved. All right, I'll go and do it at A level, simply because it's, it's, you know, I'm outstanding in the subject. It'll be an A grade, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so I went and did it. And again, I was outstanding in my understanding at A-level of the Scriptures. That's why I went and did theology at Durham University unsaved. I did it because I was so good at it. But I hadn't heard it. I remember once, I used to work in, um, in, in my A-levels on Saturdays. I used to work in Argos Superstores. You know Argos? And, and you go in and you write down your thing on a ticket and you hand it in, and then you wait, and after a while it comes out from the warehouse. 
I was one of the Saturday guys that was in the warehouse. We used to be standing around a ticker tape thing. And then when you, your number got pressed in, it would go tick, 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 tick. We would get the ticker tape. And then we would have to run around the different aisles and find the item to bring them out to it. Well, I was doing that on Saturdays. And the manager of Argos in Harrogate, he was a Christian. I wasn't a Christian. And I remember him just sitting down talking to me during the coffee break. And he was asking me what A-level, he was witnessing to me, I didn't even realize it. So what you're doing at A-level, oh, I'm studying the gospel of John. And uh, I could do, talk all about the theology of John. And he said, oh, do you know the most famous verse in John's gospel? I hadn't a clue. I said, no, no, I don't. I thought, that's weird. I thought they would have put that in my RE lesson, you know. That's weird. No, he says, ah, oh, John 3.16. I just looked at him blankly. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. And I went, oh. I remember it made no impression on me at all except, that's funny. I've never been taught that that's the most important verse. I've never read that in my theology books. And shrugged it off. It, I had heard, but I hadn't heard. It's only now that I look back and I'm glad for that experience. Because it reminds me of how I could hear without hearing. I didn't hear because at that time the Holy Spirit did not illuminate John 3.16 to my heart, neither was I open for, to be illuminated. And so the Holy Spirit, when it says, be hearers of the word, he's not just talking about reading your Bible, do it every day, how can you hear the word if you don't read it or be in contact with it, but he's talking about God speaking to you as an individual by the Spirit and His Word. So today, I hope that the Holy Spirit speaks to you something. Not, I can teach, I can give you information, but in the end, there could be somebody here that, uh, that is sitting and will listen to my sermon and go away and have got nothing from it. Why? Well, that might be their problem. But also, the Holy Spirit has to make it a revelation to you. And this is when you're in a sermon, listening to a sermon, or when you're reading your Bible, or when you're in prayer or reading a Christian book, or just meditating. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will highlight a scripture or a passage to you, he is speaking to you. Are you listening? I have a prophetic black book notebook that I put in things that the Holy Spirit speaks to me. Prophetic, sometimes scripture as well, because I want to hear and obey. There was a time when I would be getting these things from the Holy Spirit, things from sermons, things, and I never write them down. And although it blessed me, I ne it never really was worked into my life. You hear what I'm saying? So I'm saying, you know, as we're going through the book of James, in a year's time, will any of this settled in our hearts? Because it's not, not enough just to hear. It's even not enough now to say the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. That's not enough. So firstly, we have to be in a place where we're actually hearing and hearing with the ears of the heart. Not just hearing, but hearing. The Spirit is speaking to me today. I'm open and ready. Lord, clear out my spiritual hearing. Lord, if there's anything in my spiritual hearing that will block you, arrogance 
or selfishness or the flesh. If there's anything that won't hear, please, Lord, help me. Unstop my spiritual ears so that I can hear what you're trying to say. But once you're hearing what God's saying, look what it says. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Wow. How can you deceive yourself? This isn't me deceiving you, like coming with false doctrine and telling you false things and trying to deceive you. This is the process of self-deception. You, I'm not saying you are, I'm just saying if you're in this category, you can deceive yourself. And what is deception? It's blindness. Last week we ended, I don't know how I got there, but we ended on blind spots. And the problem with blind spots is that you can't see your blind spot. That's why it's a blind spot. And so you have blind spots in your life. You do, trust me. I have blind spots in my life. I do, trust me. I'm speaking to myself. I have blind spots. You say, Bruce, what are your blind spots? I don't know. Because <laughs> they're blind spots. I've known some of the blind spots I've had in the past. And I look back on the way I was and I think, how could I ever have had a blind spot? An area that I just couldn't see it. But thank God, God is growing and bringing light and illumination. That's why we need one another. We need people that we trust enough who can speak into our blind spots to say, do you know what? There's an area here where you have a blind spot. You just don't see how you come across to people. Or you just don't see that this aspect is really important. You just don't see it. Well, the greatest blind spot remover is the Holy Spirit and his word. But in order for him to remove our blind spots, we've got to go in humility and say, show me, Lord. Search me and try me and see if there's anything in me, the psalmist says, that not, that's not of you. Because I can't see it. I can't see it. It's a blind spot. I, have, I am in self-deception. But God, if you could expose and show and reveal and illuminate through the word, then I will be able to hear. Don't deceive yourself. And of course, there are many, many Christians in the, uh, the, that exist that think that going to church and listening to a sermon is what Christianity is all about. So there's, there's many Christians that will turn up and listen to a sermon, but it won't make any impact in their lives. In fact, some Christians can't even remember the sermon that was preached on Sunday a few days later. What's that? Well, that's what we're going to see about the mirror. So we need to come to God's Word. And you say, why is this important to trials? Because when trials come, that's when you need wisdom and revelation. Because when trials or tests or mountains come in your way, what tends to come into your life is pressure. Pressure. And when pressure comes into your lives, your strengths are exposed, but so are your weaknesses. You know, if you want to test if a, a vessel has fractures or weaknesses, 
You don't just put it, fill it with water or gas or whatever. You put it under pressure. And that pressure will expose the frailties that are in that vessel. And if those frailties are there, it can crack or burst. Things will come into our lives that God will allow for his purposes that will put our character under pressure. And during those times of pressure, we need wisdom so we don't panic and go the way of the flesh. We need patience. Just keep trusting God. The trial has an end. But we also need to be hearing what God is saying in the trial. As the, as the purifying work of the trial comes, and we like gold are being purified. The Bible says our faith is gold, and that faith is purified when we put our faith to work. And purification means that the dross or the impurities come to the surface. If you're going through a little bit of a difficult time or a test, or if there's some challenge that you are undertaking in any aspect of your life, and you're a little bit despondent today because you don't think much of yourselves, you think, man, I'm rotten, I'm going through this, or I'm trying to achieve this, and I just feel like my faith is really rubbish, and I just feel like my cat, I'm so, you know, I'm getting angry and frustrated with God and others, and... I just feel really bad about myself. Cheer up. God is healing you. I, I have learned this. It's not enjoyable, but I have learned this. I have learned that when I feel bad about myself, despondent or discouraged about myself, I have learned to be patient with myself. Why? Because a few days or weeks earlier when I was feeling good about myself, these blind spots hadn't been revealed. And that when you see your weaknesses coming to the surface, it is a sure sign that God is doing a great work in your life. I'm more concerned about the person who for months and months on ends just thinks that they're the best thing since sliced bread. I'm concerned about the person that is always on top of the world, always believing their faith is fantastic, always believing that, that everything's great, never having it. I'm concerned about them because probability is, is that they're living in the land of blind spot. So when pressure comes and you feel you're not such a good Christian, relax. You're under pressure. And the pressure is making you stronger. And when you come out of that little period, that little trial or that section, you'll become mature. I've also said tests are not always, you know, a year or three months. That there are little tests coming our way every moment of the day. Little tests. So don't think that Bruce is speaking only about some massive, huge trial test of the devil like Job that you're all going to have to uh, go through sometime. I don't want you to have, I don't want you to fear the trial I want you to count it all joy. I don't want you to think, oh God, not another five o'clock service with Bruce. Oh, when's he going to teach about victory? Just telling us we're going to go through a test and how wonderful it is for us. <laughs> when's my big test coming? Maybe if I don't come to KT, the test won't come. Because if he keeps preaching the test, surely it's going to come. Please don't think like that. Because you're going to have to go through what you're going to have to go through, whatever, whether you come to the five or not. But thank God, there's a few of us at the five that are actually getting ready to deal with what everybody has to go through every day and every week. 
Some of us are actually going to think, ah, I know what's going on. I've got a context of understanding because so many Christians go through things panicking, anxious, um, uh, bemused, confused, blaming God, blaming others, thinking they have to do it in the flesh because they don't know what's going on and come out of it. And they're no better than when they went in it. You hear what I'm saying? I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've been confused, dazed, angry, worked in the flesh. I've been there. I don't want to be there again. I'm not saying we won't have temptations and things when we're doing it. That's part of it. But we know what I'm going through. God hasn't given up. Even if it seems he's hiding his face, like Job thought, no, no, no. He's there. He's in control. Just keep doing what you can. Keep learning. It's going to feel like you're slipping each day. But you know what? God will give you wisdom. Sometimes you want to say something, but you don't say it. That's God's wisdom. You're slow to speak. You're angry, but you've learned something from James. You're angry. You don't know how to deal with your anger. Sometimes you can't, sometimes you can't just turn anger off, can you? I'm trying to be real here. Sometimes there's anger. Times in my life where anger has kept me awake all night. But not an anger of bemusement. I'm just, all night, I'm just, I'm so angry. I'm thinking to myself, I'm so angry. And I used to try and turn it off. But you can't turn anger off like that. So what I did is I stepped back and myself said, I'm angry. There's nothing I can do with it except give it to you, God. One thing's for sure, I'll not act out of it. No matter how angry I am, I will not act out of this anger. That I know. I might not be able to take the emotions away, but God, maybe you're just bringing some stuff out of me and the anger's coming out and you're going to skim it off. Do your work, Lord. And I've been angry all night. Terrible situation being angry. Yet at the same time, while I went through that anger, I had a context. I understood. I said, I can't help but feel this. I keep trying to turn it off. I can't do it. So I'm just going to let it flow to you, Lord. I know I'm not going to act out of it. On the contrary, the person that I'm angry with will get a blessing. Get a blessing. If they get anything, it'll be a blessing. I'll treat that person in the nicest way possible if I'm angry at them. Not in some deceptive way, but in a real way because I don't want to be dominated by such earthly, sensual wisdom. I want to be delivered, mature, patient. I want to deal with these things. Thank you, Lord, because I didn't even know it was in me. Till, I, till this situation happened, I didn't even know. I thought I was a lovely, friendly, kind person until this thing happened that I don't believe was my fault. But I won't blame you for it. I won't even blame that person for it. I believe it's all part of the learning process. And now I'm up all night angry. I didn't even know I had this anger in me. But I'm not going to be down on myself, although I am not enjoying it. But I'm not going to be depressed and down on myself as much as I'm able because I'm going to believe that you're doing something in me, Lord. I'm going to believe you're working in me and that when this anger leaves, I'll be in a stronger, deeper place with you and the rest of human beings. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. So we've been spoken about don't deceive yourself. Now, the mirrors that they used in those days aren't as good as the mirrors that we have today. The mirrors that they used in those days were simply polished bronze 
or copper reflections. So if you've ever been in a church or had copper, I mean, um, copper or, or bronze or what we might call today brass. And uh, it, when I was a young boy in my mum's house in Yorkshire, we had loads of brass. She used to like collect brass. And so every so often she would shine up the brass. And when she shined up the brass, you could see your face in it. But the problem is it's a lot, not as good as a mirror. That's why it says uh, a man observing himself, his natural face in a mirror, that um, in those days you'd have to really observe yourself and look to find out what's there. And in this passage, it's speaking about people really looking into the mirror, trying to see and to study their appearance to see if they had to make any alteration or if there is any dirt or if it was ladies, whether the makeup was on properly. But here what James is saying is, look, when the word is preached or when you read the word or interact with the word, you're literally holding a mirror to your soul, to your soul. And if you properly look into the mirror with an attitude of God, please don't let me look into this with my own opinions. Don't let me read God's word today. Let God's word read me. Don't fall into the mistake of taking all your preconceived ideas, going to the Bible and reading them into it. All the things that you think, going to the Bible and reading in what you want to see, what you want to hear, and using the Bible, consciously or unconsciously, using the Bible to confirm what you already believe or what you already think about a situation. Don't approach it that way. You might not even know that you are. Be aware and say, Lord, whenever I come to the Word of God in all its forms, I'm going to come and I just want to look and see. I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to be ready for you to say something that I might not want to hear or expect to hear. And you know what? That's lovely. It's lovely when you're interacting with the Word through all its forms, preaching, reading, listening, meditating, and God says something that you didn't expect He'd say to you. Even a rebuke. Do you know what? Even reading the word and God rebuking you. Do you know what? It's a lovely thing. You say, how can being rebuked from God be a lovely thing? Because he loves those that he rebukes. And because naturally speaking, you wouldn't hear a rebuke from the scriptures. Naturally speaking, you'd just hear blessing, 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 blessing. I love you, blessing, blessing, blessing. I like it when God speaks something even a little bit more mature than that. Because babies need milk and cuddles all the time. Babies need milk and cuddles and milk and cuddles. Ah, ah, baby. Ah, milk and cuddles and milk and cuddles and burping and nappy changing. Milk and cuddles, milk and cuddles. That's what you should give to babies. But not to like 18-year-olds. Sometimes 18-year-olds need to be like, listen, son. I've been around the block a few times and let me tell you a few things. Oh, you don't need to tell me anything. I'm 18. I'm a teenager. You just listen to these words. You know what I'm talking about? Well, we need to face the Word of God and say, 
We're not going to be rebellious teenagers to our Father in heaven. We're not, you know, some Christians get into the teen, some Christians never get out of the baby stage. Milk and cuddles, milk and cuddles, milk and cuddles. You say, yes, they do. No, they don't. Paul went to the Corinthians and said, I couldn't speak to you as mature. I, I couldn't give you the meat of God's word. I had to give you milk and cuddles. But there is a message for the mature. Some people, they never, they never grow out of their teenage years. And apology to any teenagers, because, you know, it's not true that all teenagers rebel. On the contrary, that's a lie of the enemy. So excuse me for taking something that is a bit of a parody, all right? If you're a teenager, I have a wonderful teenager's son, and, and in his obedience, well, it, it's a wonder to behold. So I hope you don't hear where I'm coming. But many people talk about teenage rebellion. And if there was a teenage rebellion, some Christians are still in that thing where they can't hear, they won't listen. They're not open for a rebuke or a correction from the Word of God. We need to be open that when we look into the mirror, you know, we don't see what we want to see. We see what's really there. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? And that mirror to that wicked old witch on Snow White kept saying, you are, you are, you are. And she loved it. She, he was lying. But then one day, it did tell her the truth. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Not you, you old bag. It's Snow White. What did she do? Tried to kill Snow White. Anyway, how did we get there? Mirrors. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Looks. Hears. Maybe even studily intense. But goes away. He might as well never have looked into the word. There's no follow-through, no hear what the Spirit is saying and act on it, think about it, bring it back to God in prayer, and comes back and it's exactly the same the next time they go into the one, exactly the same, hearing. In fact, these type of people, they can have so much knowledge, so much theology, so much understanding in their head, but none of it has dropped into their heart or actions. But then we find, finally, here in this section, a different kind of person looking into a different kind of mirror. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. What is this person and what are they looking into when they talk about the law of liberty? Well, the law of liberty, uh, we can look in various passages. Let me take you to some of them. When we talk about the law of liberty, we're talking about Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, which says, carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the law of Christ is to do with how we interact with other people. Many of the trials we face are to do with how we interact with other people. When God, when God asks a question, how spiritual are you? He doesn't first ask, how much of the Bible do you read every day? Or even how much do you pray every day? That's not his first question. His first question is, how do you treat people in the body of Christ? This is my new commandment, that you love one another even as I have loved you. The first, and I tell you what, if you treat... People in the body of Christ, 
If you treat them correctly, God knows that you're in the Word. And God knows that you're in prayer. Because in order to treat people correctly and to respond to people in situations correctly, spiritually, and with love, you have to be in the Word. You have to be in prayer. Because otherwise, you will deal with them according to the flesh. Yeah? And uh, uh, there's, uh, there's, other, there's other ones here. But the, the law of Christ is the law of the Spirit, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. The law of the Spirit. We've been set free. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Is, 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 let's just turn to that. Because this also speaks in terms of a mirror. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And the whole of 2 Corinthians 3 is speaking about the law of Moses being replaced by the ministry of the Spirit in the New Covenant. So when we talk about the law of liberty, when James talks about the law of liberty, he is not talking about Moses' law. That's not a law of liberty. The Mosaic law didn't liberate anybody. You could read the rest of 2 Corinthians 3. The Mosaic law brought what? Knowledge of sin, therefore misery. The law brought condemnation of sin. The law didn't save anybody. It just showed us how much we needed a saviour. So the law of Moses is not being spoken about here. And 2 Corinthians 3 Verse 18, or 17, let's start 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We with all unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So the mirror is the Holy Spirit. Sorry, the mirror is the Word of God, but you can't look into the mirror and see yourself without the Holy Spirit. Remember what I said? It's the Holy Spirit that brings hearing. But the law of liberty is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is why when you face difficult people and difficult situations, your flesh wants to do the works of the flesh that we find in Galatians chapter 5. You want to get angry. You want to sort them out. You want to argue with them. You want to debate with them. You want to, that's all the works of the flesh, dissensions and, and, and anger. That's what you want to do. You want to sort them out. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, patience, kindness, And the flesh says, how can those things sort this out? Those things are doormat thinking. Love, patience, the word is actually endurance. Kindness, the word is actually generosity in mind and thought. These things are doormat philosophies. People will walk right over you. No, they won't. Because God, God will vindicate you. Because you're going to go to God and the Spirit They're going to go to fleshly means. They're going to go to the wisdom from below. We're going to go from the wisdom from above that James says is first peaceable. Peaceable. 
How can being peaceable work things out? Believe me. You're not going to work with the weapons of of carnal weapons, but you're going to work work with the weapons of God. You're going to go to prayer in God. You're not going to lose your integrity. You're going to strengthen your integrity. The law of the liberty is the Holy Spirit's work in the Word and the Holy Spirit's work in your heart. It's the fruits of the Spirit, the work, the, the, not the works of the Spirit, but the fruits of the Spirit. We saw it's the Spirit at work. And that when we look into the glory, when we have a relationship with God's Word and God's Spirit, then we begin to see things differently. We begin to see how we should act. We're not doormats. On the contrary, we are princes and princesses of the kingdom. We have too much dignity to wallow in the dirt of anger, dissension, manipulation, stabbing in the back, lies. All these methods of bringing down people. We, we are too dignified. And you know what? God won't let us go down in our dignity. But if we want to wallow with the pigs, God will let us live with the pigs. God will never let you go down. And the beautiful thing about trials, as I close today, is not only will you grow, but you'll trust God. You'll trust God. You look at every trial in the Bible where people had to trust God. And the whole of Christianity is simply this. It's about trust issues. It's about trust. Everything in your life is about trust issues. Do you trust him or do you not trust him? Even in the trials, my greatest struggles are all struggles of trusting God. All of them. In the little reactions, when something happens, shall I slap that person down? Because they, they need a good slapping. Don't they know who I am? I'm the associate minister. The only person who can slap me down is Colin or Amanda. And this person's been just rude to me. They need a good slapping. Good slapping. Am I going to do that? Or am I going to dignify and go God's word? May need to confront them. But I don't confront them out of anger or reaction. It would be for their own benefit and the benefit of the kingdom of God. What am I doing now? I'm, up, I'm living in dignity. And I'm trusting God that to go his way, God will bring me through. I'm not a doormat. I'm not running away. I'm not saying you can do whatever you want. I'll just, I am a dignified Man of God with the fruit of the Spirit. Well, that's what I'm believing for. And when I come, and the pressure is always this, always. You're going to do it God's way or not? You're going to trust me or not? I spoke to you, I promised you. Yes, but God, it doesn't look like your promise is going to come through. Are you going to trust me and, and work the principles of the Spirit or not? It's always that. It's always that. And I'm like, oh God, it's always this, isn't it? It's always down to whether I trust you or not. It's that simple. Whatever the complex situation that we find ourselves in, it's always down to whether I trust you or not. Do you know what? It's difficult to trust God. But the more we trust him, the deeper our relationship is, the better the testimony, and the more we're ready to trust him again. Because I tell you what, the more we trust God the better our lives. You can only really count it all joy 
in various trials, when you've been through a few, trusted God through a few, and come out, because the final of this section says this, and, and be blessed, right? The final thing says, oh, I'm in Hebrews, says this, James, the lap that says, not a forgetful here, verse 25, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in all he or she does. I mean, not in some, in all. Do you want to be blessed? I do. How can you count it all joy? Because of the blessing. And this blessing is internal and external. I've gone over time. Okay. Internal and external. Carry on next week. Internal, the knowledge that you're walking with God. There's something about trusting God. There's the times when you're like panicking and, oh, I might try. But there's a time when, do you know what? I'm glad I went God's way. And just going God's way can feel great. If you've never done it, try it. If there's something that you, just, God will give you an opportunity. Go God's way. Even if it's a little thing, go God's way. You'll be blessed as you go in God's way. It says blessed as you do. And on the inside, whatever the results, even if the results aren't yet in, you'll say, I'm glad I went God's way. So the internal blessing, I'm glad I'm going God's way. It's wonderful to be there, to have God saying, well done on the inside. But then the external blessing, because there's always the end of the trial and there's always the blessing that comes with it. Greater knowledge of God, greater security for your soul, and God will bring you through. And often that will be materially, positionally. He will crown you with the crown of righteousness. The blessing will come. Don't fear tomorrow. Tomorrow is God's plan to get you through to destiny and to bless you. Thank you if you let me go five minutes over time.